You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Hello everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. Lots of coverage over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com from last night's Michigan-Michigan State game. Pretty impressive, dominant win for the Wolverines, 29-7. to We'll talk about it in the second half of this episode because, unfortunately, there is a you know arguably a bigger story that came after the game. I assume most of our listeners have seen the video. Go to 247sports.com right now and, and check it out if you haven't, but... Seemed like six, seven, eight Michigan State players scuffled, beat up. I, I, I don't want to use the wrong word, but looked like they were trying to beat up what appeared to be Jaden McBurrow's Michigan defensive back. It was like an eight-on-one situation, a very ugly scene, and and you know, not not a, it's not like I have like this crazy insight, but I, I think I think it's worth still discussing. Pretty significant incident and and I guess the two things that stick out to me well the first one is I understand that that these tunnel scuffle incidents happen all over the country every week this one did seem to cross a line this one seemed a little bit more of a can't do that this wasn't you know a bunch of guys in pads posturing bumping chests or whatever uh this was a little bit more of a of a lopsided altercation probably too lopsided of an altercation to I guess be legal so to speak and and so you know we'll see what the police investigation says and what the big 10 findings conclude or what if they dole out punishments or suspensions or fines but i've already seen some people being like oh it wasn't that big of a deal no one got injured or oh mcburrows probably was chirping or or wanted the smoke or whatever uh no i mean i there is literally nothing that he could have said that would warrant that reaction period point blank that is not how adults in society behave, period. Yeah, pretty significant. And I think to me, this is something that can't be ignored because if you ignore it, you're inviting it to happen again. And you're saying, we, you know, if, if you're the Big Ten, you're saying it's not something that we care about, which would be a real disservice to the student athletes because, you know, this is something... I mean, Michigan State fans are mad. Michigan State coaches are mad. I'm sure Michigan State players are mad. You know, the ones that weren't involved in this. I mean, it's, I you know, tempers rise in the rivalry. It's part of what makes the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry one of the best in college sports right now. But this was beyond rivalry. This was, I mean, if McBurrows or whoever got in the tunnel at the same time as you and is jawing at you, like, just let him go. It's one dude. 
And so unless there's something we really haven't seen that it wasn't documented on the video and I haven't heard of anything yet, I, I feel like something would have come up at this point. It's really hard not to see this being a significant punishment handed out to Michigan State. I don't know if they'll do individual players. I don't know if they'll do the whole team. I don't know if they'd put this on the coaches. I mean, the coaches were not part of the altercation, but you know that, that I guess sometimes when it's a group, you almost want to punish the, the team uh, more than you know a couple players and a couple players don't get punished at all. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see what happened uh, or what, what comes of this. You know, at this point, I don't, I don't have a ton of insight. I wasn't there. Obviously, I've seen the video and everything, and, and we asked Jim Harbaugh about it last night. But pretty ugly scene. And, and really, the other takeaway for me is it, it's, it's just a real bummer, uh, more than a bummer, but it, it is a bummer that this is taken away from what was a pretty darn impressive win for Michigan. I mean, it's, you know, Michigan – as most Michigan fans know, they spent all off season thinking about Michigan state. You know, they were being cited as much as Ohio state, you know, in terms of the season goals, in terms of the, the mission this season. I mean, they, and, and to Michigan's credit, they played like it. Michigan state wasn't the only team to lose really good players from last season. Michigan did the work coaching staff and players to put itself in position to beat Michigan state by three touchdowns to dominate the game. And we'll talk a little bit about the the ins and outs, some of the things we saw in the game, good and bad. I mean, there's certainly room for improvement too. Uh, but Steve, I wanted to ask you, we're not we're not blaming the tunnel. Don't don't get our words twisted. You know, we're not we're not James Franklin. We're not we're not blaming Michigan Stadium. But this is the third straight what I would call big game in Michigan Stadium because you know Ohio State, Penn State, and now Michigan State where there has been some level of incident, jawing, scuffling, posturing, and in this case, more significant. Third straight game where there's been some incident in the tunnel. I feel like three times is is a trend. And when there's a trend, then you do have to start looking and seeing like, okay, what's what can be changed about the procedure? You know, we saw last night, actually. I, I don't know if it got caught on, on TV at all, but you know, they held Michigan players back at halftime for like an extra, I want to say 45 seconds, not quite a minute, but you know, a significant amount of time before they let them go up the tunnel. Obviously last night, it was only a couple Michigan players in the tunnel, but Steve, any additional thoughts on, on the situation? And you know, this is, this is a Michigan state incident by all accounts. I mean, I don't think I don't think you could ever fairly say Jaden McBurrows deserved what he, you know, I mean, there's nothing he could say that, that deserves that kind of reaction. Again, not in adult society, but without acting like both sides are at play here, any additional thoughts on the tunnel, the procedure? I mean, cause, cause again, this, this is something that can't happen every game, just point blank. It cannot happen every time these two teams fight. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I get some fans really like, you know, the intensity, the chippiness, let it happen on the field. You know, this, this, this off the field stuff in the tunnel, it's just dangerous at some point. And it's, it's really just not, I don't think it's anything. It's something anyone wants fans, coaches, players, media, 
police. You know, I mean, no one slept well last night uh, that, that was involved in or that had to either investigate or report or be a part of the post-game situation. So any additional thoughts on on the procedure or, or anything from this ugly post-game scene? Uh, I get pissed because it, it stuff like this takes away from like there's an appeal to how great these rivalries are. We know these two teams programs, everyone fans like none, none don't really like each other and have it. I think that's why every year I think you've, you know fans circle this game regardless. Uh, you know, we it, it's why on paper you expect would have expected Michigan to win this game. But then you see Michigan State kind of hang around a while. Like, it's just these rivalries are what make this job fun, makes it fun for the fan, makes it fun for everybody. So, like, seeing stuff like this, like, just really kind of stinks. Um, even, I mean, honestly, there's the, there was the video coming up the tunnel, like, of a fan, like, touching Mel Tucker's head. Like, what? Yeah. Like, what the I... hell? Like, what the hell is going on? You know, it's like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, what? compels somebody to even think they can do something like that you know so like um yeah just disappointment you know and, and yeah it's 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 sad to see yeah players players like basically beating on a guy another player uh just like i guess it's stupid disappointing more than anything you know it does it this this rivalry is to me it's always been even different than the ohio state game uh in a lot of ways and uh you know it's just you hate seeing it spill over you know because like i said you know there's always boiling blood like between these the like i said the programs the fans you know go on a message board go on twitter like you see it every day um but it's always doesn't it doesn't really i mean yeah there's some line crossing particularly between fans and stuff but most of it's you know just that the backbone of a bitter rivalry, but to see it kind of, yeah, spill over into something like that really stinks. Uh, and yeah, as far as the tunnel, like, I mean, yeah, something's got to change. I would think, I don't know what exactly that is, but for the safety of who, anybody, um, staffers, coaches, players, like anybody that's walking up and down, something's got to change. Like I said, I don't know what it is. You see, like you said, they, they, appear to be making doing things differently at halftime yesterday maybe need to make it more different more separated you know granted I don't feel like Michigan has another home game this year I don't think you're going to see can't imagine we'll see this against Illinois or Boy, Nebraska. If you do, though I mean yeah no that true maybe it may be a good litmus test you, you got to think maybe Michigan now has some time to develop a new protocol like at least to have sit down and have the discussion like is this really a problem like what you know what can we do to avoid that because uh you know McMurrow's I don't know like did Harbaugh say he may have a broken nose or nasal issues or something yeah nasal uh, injury that could be a lot of different I'm not things. gonna speculate I, I, but that could I, be a thousand different things I agree I agree that yeah. was my takeaway too nasal injury was a very general it could have been a bloody nose either way I mean who's to say a couple kicks or punches or whatever different that goal will be, you know, he could have actually been like legitimately injured. Yes. It night. could have been right? a I lot mean, worse. And it, I think it's fair to wonder, like, I mean, there's like a hundred different law enforcement people in that tunnel. And it's like, in some sense, how did he even get to this point? Yeah. But also true. like, 
if there isn't that level of security, I mean, is it fair to wonder, like, I mean, there was no one to defend McBurrows. Right. Right. In, in that tunnel. Yeah. The video was, it was pretty jarring. I mean, it was worse than I expected when I first clicked on it. So, um, but yeah, like I said, my biggest thing, just kind of like, like that parent, like I'm not mad, I'm disappointed type feeling, you know, where it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, come on, this can't happen. You know, this rivalry is too, too great, too intense to, too, it's been too, it, there's a controlled intensity between the two programs. They, they do, they don't like each other at all. Um, and then you're seeing stuff like this. It's just, it just stinks. You know, there's really no other way to put it. Yeah. The passion of college football is really my favorite part about college football. I, I love that there are rivalries that the regular season means so much to so many people. I mean, people's entire, you know, livelihoods and emotions are invested in, in a regular season game. And, and, you know, you hear about players. I mean, their entire off season motivation is revenge on Michigan state. I mean, it's, it's really cool how much passion there is in college football, especially in the rivalries, but there, there has to be lines. And that's where I think the big 10 has an opportunity to kind of put a line in the sand about, you know, how important is sportsmanship? Uh, Because, you know, there's, there's always going to be chirping. Every, every Michigan player who has ever played at Michigan stadium has a story about some jawing or, or chirping that the them or their opponents did especially in this Michigan State game and there's there's a lot of like the the side stuff that like a lot of the fan banter is is funny or it like or it resonates I mean people are still talking smack about the stake that was put in the field and and you know some of this stuff is not this serious but when it is serious and when a line is crossed and I would argue the fan who went after Mel Tucker's head crossed a pretty significant line too I mean that that I just feel bad for like you know, those tunnel moments are really cool opportunities for like kids or like young fans or fans who maybe don't get to interact with players and coaches very much. You know, that's a chance for them to like congratulate them or give them a high five. And now it's like, you know, you don't want players and coaches to be worried about being, I know it wasn't like a vicious attack, but like that, that can't happen, man. I, I wonder, I, I haven't heard anything, but I wonder if there'll be some sort of punishment given out to that fan because yeah you, you can't reach like that can't can't try to touch a coach's head it's pretty obnoxious and not the same kind of issue as as the Jaden McBurrows but but neither can happen I think it's fair to say so yeah I'm very curious about the procedural changes and also very curious about what kind of line the Big Ten draws here I I think sounds sounds like everything is on the table at least and like, what's Lloyd Carr thinking? You know, they named dude, this, that tunnel name, name a, is off to name, a rough name, start. Name that name the tunnel after me. Now that it's like, now the tunnel's like, you know, the disgrace. Tunnel yeah. It's like, it's like all the, where all these problems are starting. Like it hey, went you know, 598 like, games without an issue. And now, yeah, now they want to blow the, the hell, whole tunnel up, you know, so. like you put my name on there. Like, let's, let's treat it, you know, let's treat it good. So, yeah, no, it's, it, it will be interesting. I, it, you know, there's not a ton else to say without, the big 10 or the, I guess the police revealing more. So if there's more to come that makes it into the podcast, we'll obviously discuss it uh, in our next episode. But with that, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side, just football. We figured 
we'll talk about this because it's very important. You can't ignore it. Again, ignoring it is kind of inviting it to happen again. But at the same time, there was a pretty significant football game. I thought Michigan really continued to look like a playoff contender. We'll talk about the ups and downs of the Wolverines 29 to 7 win after the break. This is the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, just football now. Michigan, 29-7. Pretty dominant game by every metric. Michigan State had 11 first downs. They scored seven points. They had 63 yards in the second half, and I think almost all of them came on one play. You know, that big pass to, to Keon Coleman. Very dominant second half for Michigan. First half was effective but I think you saw a lot of what you saw against Penn State where you get all the yardage get inside the 25 yard line or 20 yard line can't punch it in uh we talked about it after the Penn State game you know at what point do you start throwing the ball a little bit more in the red zone do you try some fades do you try I guess there were a couple passing routes over the middle of the field that they that they tried execution is is part of it but, Steve, I think when you look at the overall numbers, Michigan drove inside Michigan State's 25-yard line seven times. They came away with 26 points on those drives. That's just not enough. It's less than four per trip. Even if they score a touchdown two-thirds of the time they enter, or not even two-thirds, just slightly more than half of those seven times, four of those times, Michigan's scoring 40 points in this game. So plenty of good, right? We'll talk about a lot of the the dominant play that Michigan enjoyed, but anything you see from the red zone situation that would change, I mean, same conversation as two weeks ago, but obviously when it happens twice in a row, there's a little bit more of a concern. What's your concern level with the red zone production? Yeah, I think uh, maybe slightly above average. I just, the thing about throwing fades is they don't, you don't have to have a hundred percent hit rate on them for them to be effective as far as it. it's something else that the defense has to account for. Right. And so I, you know, I don't know, like with Andrew Anthony, I don't know why Michigan's not throwing that up there, giving him a shot or, you know, or Cornelius Johnson, just, you know, whoever, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, there are times it feels a little predictable. I, I did get the sense on a couple of Michigan's drives yesterday that that I think they just felt like they were totally in control defensively, and I think they just called run on third and just took the field goal. Uh, yeah, you want to avoid the fluky, you know. I mean, I, interception that's, or that's what it, Yeah, that's what it looked like on first watch. Was a, there were a couple of them where they just seemed to kind of be like, "We'll keep, we'll just take the points." you know, makes it a two to three from a two possession game to a three possession game. We'll just take the points and, and let our defense continue to dominate. Uh, but even with that, you know, just still, 
it's kind of peculiar because there's, you know, you have a quarterback that can make plays with his arm or with his feet. You have a great running game. You have length at the receiver position. You know, just and the does, speed to go yeah, horizontal, you, you, like with I mean, end yeah, rounds you have, or whatever. Yeah, you have all. You know, this is what we talk about all year. Michigan offensively is like they have such a diverse set of skill players uh, across the board. You know that it's a little. It is slightly peculiar that they're not having more success and at least punching the ball in the end zone because they yeah they they do seem to want to just kind of do the the will instilling stuff when they get inside the five or six yard line and uh teams are now just selling out to stop it and um it's been somewhat successful i mean you know yeah michigan state definitely had a bend but not break type deal for a healthy portion of the game yesterday uh you know so yeah i think michigan you know, more creative, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's hard to like sit here and say, we don't know what they're calling or what they're doing. But from my standpoint, yeah, they're just, they have too many different guys that can make plays in too many different ways that they shouldn't be punching the ball in the end zone more than they are. Yeah. And it, it, it and is actually, you know what, Zach, real quick too. Sorry. This is to give you props. I think this is along the lines of that whole, you know, Michigan is a playoff contender. We need to hold them to a higher standard as far as maybe being a little more nitpicky, right? About that, maybe some of the flaws that are showing. I mean, yeah, they dominated this game pretty much three out of the four quarters, and they still won by twenty-two. But okay. there, there are, there are, you know, it's fair to for, for there to be some legitimate criticisms as well. Well, and and I will give Michigan players credit they weren't like scoffing at the red zone questions after the game. I, I really do appreciate this about JJ McCarthy. He is about as transparent in press conferences as any player we've talked to at Michigan and under Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he, he comes in and immediately is like, yeah, we only punted once. So obviously we were controlling possession and everything, but this should have been a blowout. And Blake Corum said the same thing. He said, I'm not going to make excuses. We need to be better in the red zone. And so I, I don't think this is like, once it happens a couple games in a row, because there were times against Maryland and, and Iowa. Um, I don't remember exactly if it happened against Indiana, but it's happened prior in this. This is not the first or second time we've written about it. And so I, I sympathize with Michigan's approach. It's very hard to, see what Blake Corum does on a snap to snap basis and not say, let's just give him the ball three times, 10 yards. He can do that. But what you are seeing and you pointed this out is Michigan state selling out Penn state selling out. And even if they're not fully selling out, there's just less room. Like the safeties are naturally going to be closer in the red zone. And so in the linebackers are going to be, they're going to be probably keying in and, and assuming run until they see pass so Michigan continuing to win continuing to dominate pretty much every phase of the game but I think both Penn State and Michigan State they left somewhere between eight and 15 points on the field to where they could have really because if they win last night's game like 42 to 7 or win the Penn State game like 50 to 17 or whatever it could have been it, it it doesn't actually change Michigan's record, but I do think it 
one thing to keep in mind is college football playoff. It's a little bit of an eye test. If they beat Ohio state, it's not an eye test, but if they don't, and they're trying to sneak in as 11 and one team, you know, the, the, the eye test is going to be a potential tiebreaker against, you know, what will presumably be a pretty crowded field of potential candidates. One more, one more thing that we can maybe harp on as something to, to kind of pocket away thinking about, okay, they'll beat their next couple opponents without too much issue. But when they play Ohio state, will this be a concern? This is another one of those. We talked about the deep ball before the game. That was really the big key for Michigan's defense. Don't give up those deep passes. Michigan state, even if it doesn't seem open, even if it seems in coverage, they're going to try those deep balls. And then they did. And it wasn't necessarily Jaden Reed. It was actually Keon Coleman, you know, six foot four, uh, very, very talented player lead tied for, I think he might lead the big 10 now in contested catches on deep ball passes entered the week tied for the big 10 lead. Michigan adjusted, but Steve Keon Coleman is not the last talented receiver. Michigan's going to face this season and Michigan state is not the last team that can sling the ball a little bit that Michigan's going to face this season. Any, I I guess, which side of the coin are you looking at? Are you looking at the adjustments that occurred in the second half or are you noticing and observing what happened in the, it it was really like five plays. I think they targeted Coleman six times over like an eight minute stretch. He caught five passes for 110 yards. Is that more concerning or did you see enough in the second half to be a little bit more comfortable with where Michigan's coverage and, and secondary is at right now? I think more the latter. Uh, tell you, like Keon Coleman reminded me, we were watching the game last night, reminded me of uh, Michael Floyd from Notre Dame back in the day. Like really, he's a lot bigger than I thought he was. Uh, really, really good receiver. I mean, a couple of those catches are just like tip your hat type catches. Uh, you know, I guess I look at it, I guess I look at it the same way I've, I've always looked at really how both of these games have played out historically, you know, I mean, didn't Stroud had what, almost like 400 yards passing last year. Yeah, he did. He, he did not have a bad game. Like statistically. Right. I, I, I still think it, I still think it comes down to slowing down the running game. And that goes for Michigan state, Ohio state, whoever, I think that's where you kind of cut the head off the dragon, uh, even though, yeah, I mean, watch Ohio state yesterday. People may disagree. I, Marvin Harrison Jr. looks as good as Olave and Garrett Wilson, if not better. And they're still, yeah, they're they able to throw the ball at will without Jackson Smith and Jigba, who might be better than all of them. So Ohio State's passing game, always going to be a problem. I didn't, yeah, Michigan's adjustments in the second half, that was something I think we wanted to, probably going to talk about is uh, Jesse Minter has has been amazing what was it Michigan's only given up six points in the third quarter the entire season which is okay insane that was a stat I think they showed that on the broadcast last night it was like what I believe that because they really put their feet down yeah and don't forget that usually includes a scripted drive yep uh but but one thing another stat I think it's 61 to 3 now in the second half against Indiana Penn State and Michigan State now you know, Indiana, they probably shouldn't have been tied 10-10 to begin with. But those other two games, you know, were 
a one possession game. And I believe Maryland was a one possession. Granted that one ended up looking somewhat close in the second half anyways, but you know, there's been, it seems like every big 10 game, the defense has had like a couple sticky issues. And then in the second half, they don't give up Jack. Like no one scores. I mean, one field goal in the last six second half quarters. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. And I want to say the other stat, I think so. I was just, mess around on the board here for a second uh, at one point Michigan had controlled the ball for like 10 minutes and 20 seconds of the third quarter and Michigan State had only had it for like 29 seconds or something I mean just you know we talked about Michigan's depth up front particularly on the defensive side of the ball really it seems like almost every game this season that Michigan wears teams out up front in the second half and that that's what's driving that combined with just really savvy adjustments from the coaching staff just really seemed to be shining through for Michigan. So, no, I think it, I, I'm much less concerned about a guy like Coleman having that type of game. We knew Michigan – like yeah, yeah. I mean, when we, when we tried to find a path for Michigan State to victory in this game leading up was that like that was the one way is if they would – you know, made a, make a lot of plays on one-on-one balls. I don't necessarily consider four a lot, right? And it obviously wasn't enough. So, no, one guy that had a really great game for them, he got his. He, like I said, looked like a looks like a pro. Uh, not enough to to for me to at least like be super concerned about what Michigan's doing. Particularly, like I said, I mean couple of those plays the coverage was almost perfect and even in in honestly you could even argue Coleman's even kind of a different type of receiver than anybody Ohio State doesn't really have a guy like that necessarily again I'm I'm on the same token I'm saying that they might be more skilled than the group they had last year but they don't have that kind of guy like a 6465 guy that's going to jump over a Michigan defender to make a play so yeah, not not overly concerned necessarily. Okay, I, whatever your one to ten concern level, I'm probably one or two notches above, just because I think you don't want to show Ohio State, you don't want to give Ohio State the formula. And you're right that they don't have six four six five guy, but they have really good receivers. And I think the the thing that stands out to me is they have a quarterback who will get the ball there. Um, you know, it, it'll be the same vein where, yeah, the the receiver might not be wide open. But C.J. Stroud, if not pressured, and that that was maybe a concern too. I don't. I think after a lot of uh, games where they started to get pressure in the second half, started to get it in the fourth quarter, and and Michigan kind of did last night. But I don't think the pass rush is quite what it. I think it's fair to say it's not what it was last season, and I don't know if it's quite to the level where a good quarterback and good receivers you have to adjust their game plan, like thinking about Ohio state, but on the other side, and to your point, Michigan shut Parker Washington down more so than Ohio state did yesterday. So, you know, and he's, he's kind of more of the shifty, not six foot four. I totally did the thing with, um, with Coleman too, where I saw him on the basketball court and I had this mental 
envisionment of how tall he was and then lined up against football players he just looks like a completely <laughs> different height like i think it's so it's so overlooked how tall NBA or you know college basketball and nba players are like they can stand next to these behemoths on the football field and like tower over them but anyway that's just a a tangent yeah so I, i'm with you i think the adjustments are are really valuable and i think you know junior colson i thought laid it out really well you know it's obviously an intensity and in a buy-in that Michigan's defense has to have, but also their coaches and Jesse Minter included. I think him and him and Steve Klinkscale are really starting to look like some of the top assistants in the country at explaining things in a way that Michigan can make. Cause it's one th- every coaching staff in the country wants to make halftime adjustments and they probably know roughly what adjustments they want to make. But you have to be able to communicate it in a way that your players are going to comprehend it and be able to adjust. And that's a credit to the players, you know, be, being bought in, having the high football IQ to make those in-game adjustments. But I think, I think there is something to be said. I think Michigan's got a very good teaching coaching staff right now. And, and that's, that's something we've heard for the last couple years, or I guess these last two seasons. But I think it's, it's a coaching staff that isn't just rah rah. That isn't just you have to do this. Like it's it's here's how you do this. Here's how you make that adjustment. There there's schematic changes they did on Keon Coleman, but I think they also were able to coach things. And I think the more it happens, the more impressed I am. Last thing for me that jumped out from this game. <laughs> It, I guess there's two ways to look at it. So depending on what kind of Michigan football viewer you are, whether you're a, a critic or, or I guess, a optimist, believer, dreamer type, they did not pass for as many yards as I think anyone expected them to pass for against Michigan State. You know, we've seen their pass coverage. We've seen how much they struggled. I think if you had said before the game, J.J. McCarthy will complete 60% of his passes – and throw for 167 yards. I think most Michigan fans would have been like, ah, that that might be a, that might be a dicey game. That might be a close game, but, and this was something we talked about in the podcast before Michigan ran for 276 yards. It wasn't the super flashy run game with tons of big plays, but it was very methodical. I I counted uh, 24 carries of at least five yards and just a lot of tough yardage. A lot of yard, yards after contact. I'll, I'll pull up the number in a moment, but I'm sure it's very high. Steve, anything jump out to you that we haven't already discussed about the run game? I mean, to me, I think I, Blake Corum has been good in the short yard, tough yard situations all year. But, boy, he was moving the pile a little bit more than he has in the past uh, on Saturday. And, and and props to him. I mean, that was – it's 33 carries, hundred and. 70 yards I think it was two more touchdowns he's up to 15 touchdowns on the season he's over a thousand rushing yards I mean I I guess I guess I don't have a giant sweeping takeaway but I I think I think this Michigan rushing attack I I don't think there's a team that's going to truly truly stop it this season just just start starting to feel like it might be the best rushing attack in the country and and just and for how good Hassan Haskins was last season I think this rushing attack might be the best Michigan has had in a generation. Steve, your thoughts on on the on the ground game? Because 
that's not really something Michigan State gives up a lot. I think this was the fifth most rushing yards they've given up in the last 10 years. And Michigan sticking to its style, not doing the throwing like crazy because Michigan State's coverage, whatever, sticking to its own style and dominating on the ground. Uh, it felt like Michigan State's game plan was to play deep and then just kind of put the onus on their front seven to slow Michigan's running game down, right? I mean, it, a lot of times, to their credit, Michigan dropped back to pass. They're, they're, nobody was open. There weren't many open receivers in a lot of instances. So, yeah, I mean, man, like I think we said, like we talk about Ohio State throwing the ball all over the field and, and everyone just loves it and uh, – how great it is. I mean, Michigan's doing the same thing to teams on the ground, which you just don't see that very often in college football anymore. So uh, to me, it's as impressive at this point. I think Corum at the, also at this point has to be a shoe in to go to New York. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. He'd have to get hurt. I feel right? like 177, two more touchdowns. You know, he's shown up for their, for their bigger games so far this year nothing to suggest he's not going to continue to show up too. So yeah, another great game from him. He's kind of the tone setter for the team. He's really kind of taken that mantle from Hassan Haskins last year. I think that's what we always called Haskins, the sort of the tone setter. I think Corum has taken that and and run with it. So super, I mean, yeah, impressive. And, and I, I do, I think Michigan also just Harbaugh team, just that's, they like, they enjoy playing that kind of football. And I think it, it's, I think it's a much more demoralizing method of playing football, beating the team up, beating the guy across from you, running the football down their throat, holding on to the ball, not giving it to the, your, your offense. Yeah. Methodical, but like, like a, yeah, a brutally aggressive style. So yeah, it's always impressive, you know, but like I said, I think people worried about the, the passing game. It did. It felt like Michigan State was actually selling out to stop the pass, which I thought was a little peculiar at points because it, it McCarthy did did not look his best necessarily yesterday. He was, he was all right, but he just, you know, think of a few missed throws that he would have hit normally. So I was a little surprised. You know, I guess, and I didn't see it live. Zach, you were in the box. It sounded like Roman Wilson was held on that flea flicker play. He, it sounds like he'd have been open. Uh, uh, was it Wilson or Johnson? I thought it was. I thought they said Wilson, but maybe. Oh, maybe okay. Because I think Cornelius Johnson was. No, no, Cornelius Johnson. That was on the double pass. Okay. Yeah. He was like wide open, and it was. Yeah. It, it, but they threw to Edwards, which I think was just the play design. Like I don't sure. think you want Ronnie Bell going through a progression of reads or anything, but. Yeah, there were a couple. It was. Uh, I I'd have to look deeper at the film, but it, it it felt like there were. It was a little bit like that Maryland game, where if they connect on a couple of the open deep balls, the the box score looks a lot different, and people probably aren't quite as up in arms. At the same time, I mean Minnesota, Washington, a lot of teams have had a lot of success passing the ball. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was. It was very weird uh, after watching Michigan state as much, you know, cause they're always on around here. Uh, yeah. Weird to not see receivers just constantly in the free, <laughs> you know, like Minnesota. I think, I think we talked on the pre the preview, like Tanner Morgan was like 22 for 24 at one point in that game. I mean, and then it was just, 
you know, yeah, we expect Ohio State to do something like that to a pass defense like Michigan State, but to see some of these other teams, you know, I think we would have anticipated Michigan to have a better success rate throwing the ball, but at least again, more efficient. Like even if they yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. throw it 40 times, like yeah, 15 for 25 yards. is a very, very surprising yeah. number against you know, statistically one of the worst power five pass defenses in the country, you know, particularly when McCarthy is leading the country in, in accuracy heading into the game. So yeah. Um, But again, like I said, it felt like Michigan state was actually did the opposite of what I maybe thought they would do. And they sold out to stop the pass. Uh, and, And I think Michigan just said, okay, that's fine. You know, and it worked. So couple quick stats on Blake Corum from pro football focus forced missed tackles or miss forced missed tackles. That's a stat that they use to kind of combine broken tackles, like really bulldozing someone, but also juking someone. It's, it's a nice combination stat. He had 15 last night on 33 carries. His previous career high was nine. So that speaks to kind of the extra yardage that he gained. And in terms of actual extra yardage, yards after contact, he had 118 last night on 33 carries. That's 3.6 per carry. His previous career high, according to Pro Football Focus, was 80. So that's an extra 38 yards after contact that he gained. He previously hadn't done. So, you know, again, if there wasn't the post-game deal, you know, I, I wonder if the narrative would be that Blake Corum had his Chris Perry or Mike Hart kind of moment in this rivalry where he really took, took on all the carries that he, you know, they would give him got better as the game progressed. I mean, I, that still impresses me so much that he can carry the ball 30 times and doesn't really look like he's slowing down. Um, and this was, this was a very impressive game for him because to get to 177 yards without a single carry getting 20 yards you know, that 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 speaks to how persistent you are at just continuing to to stand up, stand your ground, uh, and push for every extra yard you can get. You know, without the big plays, just continuing to move the pile, get past the line of scrimmage, the fall forward yards. You know, the Hassan Haskins, frankly, made a living for. I mean, now that he's in the NFL, he's probably not in the NFL without those fall forward yards. So, you know, continuing Blake Corum is continuing to show that he can be that short yardage back and be kind of that tone setter. I like that phrase uh, up front. And, and yeah, if it, I mean, even if he just gets a few more hundred yard games, I, I feel like he'll be a Heisman finalist in New York. And and I think for those asking what he needs to do to win, I think Michigan's got to beat Ohio state. I, I don't know about you, Steve. I, I think, I think for a running back, I think it's got to be the narrative. I think Michigan has to be in the playoff picture at the end of the, by the time everyone's voting. And I think if that's the case, I do think he'll have a compelling case because he'll have crazy good numbers. He's efficient as a runner. He's got the touch. The touchdowns will really help. I mean, he's already got 15 through eight games. You know, if they, if he get, if he's at like 24, 25 touchdowns by the end of the season, plus Michigan's good. Plus he has supposed, you know, say 1500 yards. I think there'd be a case. It's tough for a running back to win the Heisman nowadays, but I, you know, maybe this is a story I'll, I'll do in the next couple of days, but he is clearly plan A and plan B for this Michigan offense right now. And, and to, to Michigan's credit, they keep winning. 
they keep dominating. Steve, any additional thoughts on Michigan's 22-point win over the Spartans? It, it really is crazy that, you know, the, the, the morning after discussion about a 22-point win over Michigan State, I mean, this speaks to maybe the seasons Michigan State's having, that that's not, it's almost like a disappointment for some Michigan fans. Uh, but it's interesting that it's not such a, you know, triumphant tenor, but, you know, the post-game deal didn't help. And I think, I think Michigan left some meat on the bone. You know, that's the phrase the offensive players have been using. But Steve, how about you? Any, any additional thoughts on this game? Anything that we haven't mentioned yet? No, not really. I'm kind of curious. I just can't get over for Michigan State. Like, hot. just Kenneth Walker was like that whole team. Went. I mean, they just looked, Michigan looked so much better than Michigan State in nearly every facet. You know, I'm, I, I look at Michigan State. I look at their roster and wonder – when is this going to like, is, is this going to get better for them next year? Like where, where, what direction is, are they going, you know, Michigan kind of clicking on all cylinders, you know, I always kind of look at each game after a rivalry game, kind of look at the big picture as far in terms of the rivalry. And I think you got to feel pretty good if you're a Michigan fan about where they're at uh, compared to the Spartans right now. So, and there'll be no shortage of motivation next season uh, when they meet up again. So yeah, dominating win. I, I, you know, not obviously not that big of a surprise. I think we expected Michigan to win. You know, yeah, could have been a lot worse if they could punch the ball in the end zone. I do, like you said, I think there's a little bit of concern there. We'll see a couple more, what, three more weeks? Rutgers, we got Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, and then Ohio State. So, uh, yep. Be interesting to see. How about Illinois? Don't have to talk about it. No, extended, but yeah. that, that becomes. Maybe one of maybe Michigan's third toughest challenge of the season. Yeah. Second, maybe. Impressive. Like good for Brett Bielema. Uh it is nice. It is always nice to see teams like you know, that rebound, like teams that have been down for so long. It's nice to see like a team like a program like Illinois find some success, right? I mean, they've been down for for so long. So uh yeah, and I, I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. You know, I don't hate the idea of like of that being Michigan's tune-up game now. I think Illinois likes to play a physical brand of football. That's what B. Lima's teams have always been known for. So I think you look at it as a, a positive potentially heading into into Columbus to, to have Illinois come into Ann Arbor. And and uh yeah, at that point you're talking it'll be the uh, number uh, first place in the Big Ten West versus presumably tied for first place in the East. So yeah, it'll be all of a sudden that, yeah, that game becomes a lot more exciting because Illinois has really stepped up and uh, played some good football this year. Yeah. And not to get too far into it, but in the event that Michigan loses to Ohio state and is trying to like sell itself as a playoff contender in on an 11, one season, so to speak, hypothetically a dominant win over Illinois when Illinois proceed, if Illinois proceeds to win the big 10 West, would help with that um, because that would basically say big appearing in the big 10 championship or not. Michigan is X good quick little victory lap for me. I wrote this in August game by game prediction preview. I'm quietly a little high on Illinois this fall. The fighting Illini are building a physical identity under Brett Bielema and have the tools for an effective run game with chase Brown and several offensive linemen back their defensive front also figures to be above the big 10 average. And I ultimately predicted this to be one of Michigan's closer home games of the season, 38 to 20. So 
little little victory lap on that. I don't want to look at the other game by game predictions. I'm sure I got. I think I, I think I got all the, all the results right for Michigan. But hey, hey, before I forget, how'd our over unders go? Because we were on the opposite of a lot of these. I'd have to check with Neil. I think I got nine out of ten right. Damn it! All right, I had a feeling. Yeah. I told you beforehand. I thought you might. I, yeah, a few it, of mine were kind of risky. Unless I waffled on a couple, I had this Michigan Michigan State game pretty much pretty much down. So <laughs> not something that's. I don't know if our listeners care about that, but but uh, you know, you and I do. We love yeah, being right. Yeah. I'd rather yeah. be right than be liked sometimes. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, with that. That's going to do it for this episode. Be sure to check out all of our written content over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.